You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And today we're talking to Dr. Daniel Siegel, author of numerous books focused on cognitive science and what we know about the mind. In fact, Dr. Siegel's most recent book is actually called Mind, and it focuses on the heart of being human. Dr. Dan also authored Brainstorm, which is of particular interest to educators because it focuses on the adolescent brain. Dr. Siegel is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine and also executive director at the MindSight Institute. And this is definitely worth the listen, as Dr. Dan offers insights for educators and parents on how to apply what we know about cognitive science in both the classroom and at home. Tell us a little bit more about what you do at MindSight and what gets you excited about the work that you write and what you teach at UCLA. Sure. Well, what we do is try to take the various fields of science, so anthropology studying culture and sociology studying groups, psychology studying, you know, thoughts and feelings and memories and emotions. Um, We take linguistics, how we use language to speak to each other, biology, the study of life, chemistry, molecules, physics, the universal principles of how the Uh, realities that we live in are comprised and also mathematics and bring them all together into one field and that has a name called interpersonal neurobiology but then what we do is we take all those integrated sciences and find the consilience or common universal findings across them and then translate them in a way that can help make lives better for people help the world be a better place and so when we do this then what we find is that we have the opportunity to actually bring to a wide group of individuals, whether it's your personal life or your romantic life or your family life or you know how to raise children, for example, or teachers raising kids in the classroom or you know what you might do as a psychotherapist or a person running an organization or if you happen to be in public policy or climate change issues or working at the level of government, you know, whatever spot on uh, the journey of life you're in, what we try to do is take these scientific principles, translate them in a way that's accessible, make them practical so that you can apply them in your everyday life, as you mentioned, to create more insight into yourself, empathy for others, and compassion to help reduce the suffering of yourself and others. And that's basically what we do at the Mindsight Institute. And Mindsight is just a term for Uh, doing all those things, insight, empathy, and creating these integrative states of kindness and compassion. Great. That's very helpful. And I think we talk about in this, the education space or the learning space, there's a a lot of attention given nowadays to this concept of social emotional learning. And and we really want to make sure that the work that's being done is grounded in not only cognitive science, but as you described, many disciplines where you're integrating information across fields. So you started to describe the concept of mindsight. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think that's going to be important as we talk a little bit about your book and about how to apply these concepts in the classroom. Tell us more about mindsight and how that relates to the me, you, and we. Absolutely. Well, you know, the the personal story behind the word is that um, when I was in medical school in the early late 70s, and the early 80s, I really was struck by how in my medical training, my professors were ignoring the mind of the patient. So if a patient was ill and dying, let's say they might tell them you're dying and then walk away without attending to their feelings or exploring the impact of that disease that they just told them they had 
on their lives, what it meant in their lives, what it meant for their relationships, what it meant for their existential issues of meaning and purpose in life and how it made them feel. So I dropped out of school because I didn't want to become a professional like that. And uh, when I ultimately decided I would go back, I made up a term for what I thought was missing in medical school, which was this ability to perceive our inner subjective lives, our feelings, the stories of our lives, the things that mattered, our thinking, and even our relationships with others. So mindsight basically was a word I made up in 1980 to mean insight into yourself, making a mindsight map of what's going on inside of your own subjective world, empathy for another person, making a mindsight map of the inner subjective life of another person that could be in or not in consciousness, so it's not the same as consciousness, but it overlaps with that. And then the third part of mindsight, besides insight and empathy, is this idea of integration. And that's a, there's a story behind that, but the bottom line is, you know, you want to honor differences and promote linkages. And the simplest way of defining that is with the word integration. So integration is the linkage of differentiated parts. And so what we do with mindsight is we promote insight, empathy, and integration. And it turns out when you look deeply at integration, it's the fundamental mechanism of well-being. It's the fundamental mechanism of uh, creativity and innovation, of having grit and resilience, of having an approach to life that's full of joy and gratitude and optimism. So integration is the amazingly singular process beneath all those positive things in life. And studies have shown that when you don't have integration in your life, whether it's relational or neurological, you don't do so well. And a study in the Human Connectome Project, an international study that came out in October of 2015, said the best predictor of well-being is how integrated your connectome is, how linked the differentiated areas of your brain are, which basically is integration. So what we now have are studies that show impaired integration leads to impaired well-being and integration leads to health. So the three components of mindsight, which is a teachable skill, uh, insight, empathy, and integration are basically the mechanisms of social emotional intelligence. It's the mechanism of mindfulness. It's the mechanism of well-being. And um, so it's been an incredibly exciting time to take these practical ideas, apply them in everyday life, and understand the broad picture of what the mind is and uh, what we can do to create a healthy mind both within us and the mind is also created not just in our heads but our whole bodies but it's not even limited to our bodies it's created in the betweenness of our lives with other people on the planet so you get all these different ways of seeing how you can promote well-being by connecting both the neurological and the sociological as well as the planetary issues that are challenges to us in our modern living. Wow. Well, you you talked about teachable skills. As educators, we're kind of, we like perk up at those kind of words. And what would be your advice based on all you've learned, experienced, written about, realizing that it's hard to distill it, but as educators seek to create classrooms or school environments that really promote this sense of well-being and that there are teachable skills and you can expand a bit too on how you incorporate those into your books where there are actually activities or workshops for people to do. Yeah, exactly. Well, Mary, thanks for the, the question. You know, what's so, so deeply exciting about this and what's so profoundly rewarding is um, that this scientific approach of interpersonal neurobiology, and 
I'm the editor of the Norton series uh, of that name. And, you know, this is for professionals, the Norton series, but I've edited now books that other people for the most part have written over 50 textbooks um, that I've overseen the publication of for this new approach to mental health. And then what I do in, in many of the books that I write myself, not the ones I'm editing, but the ones I write, is try to translate those different approaches with tens of thousands of scientific studies to translate them in a way that any person on the planet might be able to use in their personal life, in their family life, in their you know professional life. And so when we when we think about it that way, there's there's just different approaches. So for the professionals who might be listening, you know, we have this extensive series with the Norton Professional Series on Interpersonal Neurobiology. And again, there's all these textbooks that you have there. Then there's a focus on parenting. So I've written four parenting books. Uh, one I wrote with Mary Hartzell called Parenting from the Inside Out. Two I wrote with Tina Payne Bryson, A Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline. We're working on a, a third one called The Yes Brain. And then a book I wrote for adolescents called Brainstorm, which basically took these ideas and as you're suggesting, made them very accessible for an adolescent herself to read, to make it very, very straightforward for someone to, you know, actually have a way of taking these ideas and then connecting them to their actual life, to what they were actually doing. And what became so, you know, profoundly exciting about this was that people found these things actually worked. So it's kind of a, an amazing, you know, an amazing moment where you've got this solid science, you then translate it across all these different disciplines of science so it's understandable, and then you apply it to, in this case, parenting, or I wrote a book for just your own personal transformation called Mindsight, uh, and I, I think the next book, Mind, kind of offers the reader a journey themselves to really go deeply into who are we, you know, why are we here? Uh, how does the mind work in health and unhealth? What is the mind all about? Uh, where does the mind occur? When does the mind occur? All these interrogatives of who, what, why, and where, and how, and when. And what's so exciting about that from the book takes you on a, a more than just kind of a, an overview. It's actually an experience it gives you. And in going through that experience, what people have described is, it offers you kind of a way of um, expanding your sense of self in a way that uh, people are finding helpful. So it's just very, it's a very exciting moment. And we try to find opportunities, um, you know, to connect. We try to find opportunities to really bring uh, knowledge and practical skills on things you can use in your everyday life to create more integration internally and to create more integration in in your relationships too so all around that's that's what we do you know the books are one avenue we have at the mindsight institute um in-person uh, seminars and we have uh, online seminars and then we have an online 96 hour online training program and all these things are just opportunities to to learn more and 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 find ways to apply this in, in your own life well, and it's interesting with Brainstorm, you described, and I've seen as I've read that book and even had some a couple of our teenagers read portions of it, that you really address it to this youth audience. Can you give examples of either how teachers or teenagers have said 
they've used some of the mindsight tools or resources in that book, either in the classroom or to oh, help themselves as students. Absolutely. Well, one of the funniest ones was, uh, you know, I, I, I have a certain dietary restrictions and I was at a restaurant, I was teaching at the Aspen Institute and we went to a restaurant with some friends and anyway, and everyone was ordering. So I had to order kind of a, a modified meal. And um, the waitress said, you know, well, we usually, we usually don't, you know, make exceptions. And she looked at me, she goes, but I know who you are. So I'll make an <laughs> exception for you. So everyone said, what do you mean? And she told us the story that her adolescent was having a lot of trouble. And she found the brainstorm book and had him read it. And it, this is her words, you know, it, it changed his life. And he went from struggling and to being empowered. And mm -hmm. it was like one of the most meaningful <laughs> feedbacks I got. And I also got a good meal. But <laughs> besides great that, and customized, yeah, right? It was win, 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 you know, all around. So she ended up you know, hanging out with us and talking. I think her manager was wondering what she was doing. But it was really fun. So, you know, so here's a waitress in a restaurant who found the book and found a way to give it to her adolescent. So there are a number of high schools that are making it required reading, not just for the adolescents, because it's written for adolescents, but also for parents of the school, as well as the staff, the faculty. Um, you know, what I did in that book was, you know, give the overview of how the adolescent brain changes, talk about uh, a process called neuroplasticity, and then, you know, explain that... Uh, what you can do with your mind, which is a process that is different from just brain activity, but the mind allows you to intentionally focus your attention to capture the following basic sequence of events. Where attention goes, neural firing flows mm -hmm. and neural connection grows. So where attention goes means you're using your mind to stream attention in a certain kind of way that then allows you to stimulate the activation of neurons. Now, that's a pretty incredible thing. So you don't have to be a neurosurgeon cutting into the brain. You can actually use your mind to focus attention. Now neurons are firing, and here's the key thing. Where neurons fire, neural connections rewire. So this is how where neural firing flows, neural connection grows is the, the rhyming thing. And the, the really fabulous thing about that is you empower an adolescent to say, look, you're in charge of your own brain. You know, it's not your parents or your teachers who are in charge of your brain. You're in charge of your brain. And even though there's nothing out there that tells them about that, it's just the truth. And so then you go, so here's the amazing thing. You can learn these skills. And then I have these parts of the book called, you know, Mindsight Exercises. And in the Mindsight Exercises, they learn they can actually change the structure of their brain. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and today we're talking about the power of the adolescent brain and how serving others can actually build persistence, grit, and a growth mindset. What happens when we serve others? What happens neurologically? When we serve others, first of all, the research shows we have a sense of purpose. So whether you look at the growth mindset that says we can actually change what we do, not think we're just stuck with what we think we were born with, but actually change what we do and add it to Angela Duckworth's work building on Carol Dweck's growth mindset, you find that serving others gives a sense of purpose that fuels the passion and creates perseverance that she's called grit. This idea of becoming resilient to challenges and rising above things, combining all that stuff together. The mechanism beneath that is really mindsight's ability to 
have insight into yourself. Like, okay, this is challenging, but then realize that I can actually connect with others. That's the empathy piece to really link myself, this inner me and this interpersonal me. And the research really shows when we're connected in these social networks of support, you know, we live longer, we have more happiness, we have more mental health, we even have more medical health. So that's what the research shows. The, the mindset view of that is this, the mind is not just shaped by relationships, it's created within them. So when you look at it that way, relationships are not icing on the cake, they are the cake. So the really fun and exciting science-based view is this. When we're in service to others, we're actually creating more integration in the world because we're realizing that others are a part of who we are. I try to summarize that for adolescents with the word we. We're not just a, a private me. We're also an interconnected we. And to integrate that kind of identity, we take me plus we, we make them one thing. We don't get rid of one or the other. We make them two into one, and that's we, M-W-E. Great. Thank you. That, that's, uh, I appreciate in your books how you really do make it practical and use those, whether they're mnemonic devices or something unique, to, to help us remember. So lastly, how does the information that you've written about, and particularly in mind, how does that affect our everyday relationships and overall health. Are there any uh, closing thoughts you'd want to share on that front as you encourage people to explore this and learn more and obviously read the good work that you've done to help us in our relationships and our daily lives? Yeah, absolutely. I think in terms of you talking about the book, the, the mind book gives you an opportunity to take a look at kind of a historical view that since 2,500 years ago, We've been told that the mind, which many people consider the source of the self, um, not just our intellect, but the whole of our inner subjective life, what we call who we are, our identity, that the mind only comes from what's going on in your head, between your ears, your brain, and your head. And then William James repeated that in 1890. And unfortunately, modern society reflects this solo source of the self. And First of all, I think from a scientific point of view, it may actually be only a partial truth, a part of a much bigger story. And the second problem with it is it's shaped the way we grow up in modern societies so that people feel very isolated. When you put the, all the research together about the importance of relationships in well-being, then you realize, oh my gosh, relationships are not just a luxury they're where we come from in part. So this is where the me plus we thing comes together as a we. I think what we have is an incredible opportunity to realize the partial truth, you might even call it a lie, uh, about the origin of the self being only from what happens inside your head, to a much bigger view that, in fact, we are each other and we are our connections with each other, we are our connections with the planet, and so I think whether it's climate change issues or social issues or just the incredible despair that you hear people, even with material well-being, describe about this feeling of being alone and isolated, we have an opportunity actually to reverse all that stuff by exposing this lie and realizing the truth of our interconnected nature. And I, I think that's something together we can all work to bring into the world. And ultimately, you know, when you bring this integration approach into the world, this mindset view, kindness and compassion 
our integration made visible is how we say it. And that's really something we can all take part in bringing more into the world of our families, the world of our communities, the larger world in which we live. Thank you. We will definitely accept that opportunity and challenge to build those sorts of cultures in schools and school environments so that um, that we can promote the very health and integration that you're describing. So, Dr. Siegel, thank you for your commitment to the work that you do and how that benefits young people and those who serve them. And we well, thank Mary, you for your time. Thank you, Mary. It's been a pleasure. Keep up your good work, too. Thank you. Thank you. For more, please follow at Dr. Dan Siegel on Twitter and check out his new book, Mind. This podcast was produced by Mary Ryersey and mixed by Troy Lund. A big thanks to Dr. Daniel Siegel for speaking with us today. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For more on all things innovations and learning, check out our blog as well at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Kat and Megan signing off.